Okay, what a title, right? From Gay Bars to Jesus. I'm sure everybody would just love to have a testimony like that and do a presentation like this, right? My story, I'm going to go through, and I'm going to go through it rather quickly so that we can spend more time in the Q&A because I know that there's a lot on your hearts and there will probably be questions that I will uh, kind of provoke or, or, or create as we go through. So as we go through, I want to first start out saying that um, what I'm doing right now is working to develop a ministry called Out. It's called Out Ministry. It's for the called out ones. And while I'm in graduate school working through the cross-culture ministry program at Concordia University, Irvine, uh, through St. Louis, there's a path toward ordination, so I will be working toward uh, receiving um, that and being in full-time ministry. The part, though, the call in my life is to work with those who are finding themselves in uh, a gender-broken kind of place in their life and all that entails that, and I'll unpack that. I understand that some of the language that I'll use today may not always resonate with people. So if you find something provoking um, or something that um, doesn't land well when I say it, um, I understand. I would ask for grace that you would just kind of extend a little bit of that toward me today because I don't pretend to know where you're at in your life journey with the Lord. I don't pretend that my story of healing and transformation and hope is your story of healing and transformation. I don't even assume that there's anybody in here that ever struggled with their gender identity or has any kind of conversation about that. So as I go through this, it's one story. It's not a cookie-cutter experience for everybody. And as you listen and you hear, what I hope you hear out of this is that you would hear what God is doing that we cannot do. That you would maybe ask yourself a question, what do I believe about God? What do I believe that he's able to do? Is there anything that he's not able to do? For example, is he not able to, to change a person with a homosexual identity to someone fully integrated into a heterosexual identity? So those are just some things. I'm an artist. I grew up in the Midwest on a farm with four boys, Brett, Brad, Brian, and Brooke. And mom loved the bees. I was number three. I was a middle child through and through. So if any of you are a middle child, you might understand a little bit of that. I was um, not a farm kid in the uh, kind of the stereotypical sense of the word. I was artistic. I was creative. I had a great imagination. I had a really tender spirit and a tender temperament. And I think for me, at that context in my life, it didn't always translate very well uh, with the rough-and-tumble um, farm and um, athletic brothers that I grew up in. This painting I would paint years later, but it represented uh, kind of my state of being during a very um, difficult and challenging, and I would say a dark place in my life, where I cried out to God, and I found that in my own humanity, I wasn't able to really handle life on life's terms. You see, when I grew up, I grew up and went to a college and I graduated. So I grew up physically and I grew up intellectually. But I found out in that transition of going from college into my adult life, where I would be employed and seek a career and connect with the world around me, apart from the covering of college or my home, 
that I hadn't grown up emotionally. I didn't understand that. I didn't even have language for it. If someone said what was wrong, I just didn't know what to say other than life was hard and it was overwhelming and it was difficult. And in the midst of all that, I didn't have an identity in my own physical biology. I struggled with same-sex attraction and that scared me more than anything. I grew up in a time where I couldn't really talk about that. There was a horrific amount of jokes out there and bullying that I experienced when I grew up when people lab labeled me as less than male and called me gay or faggot. Those kinds of things were hard for me. So I became a great listener and I would listen to people around me. If they made a joke that was somewhat derogatory, if they um, said something that was um, a little bit overbearing, I would oftentimes just make a little mental check mark in my mind that they're not safe. And I would not um, really be known by them. I would put on my best act and I would do what they did just so I could fit in, but I wouldn't on any level really disclose the inner turmoil in my life. So my story basically started out in a um, Midwest farm family. And when I was very young, I experienced the love of Christ at a little farm community church. My dad was the Sunday school superintendent. My mom was the treasurer. And they did their very best to raise us up um, as good young men and honorable young men. And, and I had this problem, though. Because I was kind of marginalized as the middle child, I sucked my thumb. Yeah, I sucked my thumb all the way until I was seven years old. And I went to the dentist. I remember him scolding me that week, shaming me for being too old to suck my thumb. And that weekend, the pastor's wife in our Sunday school class talked about the love of Jesus and what he wanted for our lives. And that he had called us into relationship with him and he had more than we could think of or imagine planned for our lives. And it started with repentance. As we believe, we recognize that we were broken. And so at seven years old, I thought, what if, what do I have as a sin? I thought, ah, I, I suck my thumb. So I gave up my thumb for Jesus. And that was the object lesson that God gave me at seven years old, that I was his. And that somehow, as he did that miraculous thing that he does, when he brings us through the waters of baptism, and he takes us from death to life, he takes out a stony, unresponsive heart, and he gives us something that's able to not only love others, but to receive love and to respond to a living God. And my mind, so I carried that with me in my heart. When I graduated from college and I found out that um, I was ill-prepared emotionally to deal with life on life's terms and I was insecure, I couldn't really hold relationships together, um, especially with the opposite gender, I, I always had this fear that if they really truly knew me, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't like me, and I'd wreck their life. I kind of thought I was pretty powerful, honestly that I could destroy someone so quickly. So I went and I, th I talked to a Christian counselor. When I went to speak with this Christian counselor, it was the first time I ever, to a grown adult, disclosed what I was struggling with. And as I opened up and shared with this, what I believe was a Christian counselor, I started a four-month journey. And it was a wonderful journey. It was safe. I felt like I was heard and I was listened to. I didn't feel judged. And I started to unpack a little bit about my fear 
of this and not understanding where God stood with this and where should I land in life. I wasn't necessarily there looking for someone to give me all the answers. I wasn't necessarily there looking for someone to say, um, go be gay. I was actually looking for someone to say, I hear what you're saying. I know that there's a struggle within your life. Let's unpack that and let's walk through that. Instead, what happened after the four months of meeting with his counselor is on one day I went to see him, he leans over and looks at me and he says, you know what? Maybe you should go to the gay bars in Chicago. That might be how God created you. And in that moment, my faith and my heart were just crushed because I thought I am hopeless. When I was a little kid, people teased me and made fun of me and mocked me. When I found out what homosexuality was all about, I thought, well, that's silly. I don't do any of those things. That was my only defense. My behavior was my only defense. What I did and what I didn't do. And if I hadn't slept with a guy and I hadn't done any of that stuff, then I was okay. But it was a very shaky ground that I walked on because I still had all these appetites that were growing and these things that I didn't know where to go with. So it was a very confusing time for me. And unfortunately, that led me to the streets of Chicago. And I, these were some of the first places that I visited. And I think that sometimes in our world and our culture today, we glamorize so much of what we think we want. And you have a young man that walks into a place that he doesn't have any clue, all the different layers. And I can say in my experience, it was a very dark and disintegrated place for me. And I was a young man, and it felt very much like I was in a meat market. I met a, a man um, that I would know for many years later, and we um, were, I guess you would say, partners for a little bit. He lived in New York, and I lived in Chicago, and I met him on the internet. And I think the good grace about that, which I had no idea, was that God was um, building in a boundary for me. And there's a wonderful redemptive side of this story. And that story, I'll share with you just briefly because it, it's because I started it. I got ready to leave Chicago and move in with this guy. I met him um, and met his family. And I thought, well, if, if this is how God created me to be, then I guess I better do it. In that moment that I um, experienced homosexuality, I thought, there goes my, um, my defense. Everything that they said about me growing up must be true. I must be gay. And that was really difficult for me to balance in Christianity. I didn't know where to go with that. Because when I was very little, I thought I was a bad person. Some things um, happened to me when I was very little that... Um, kind of moved me in a sexual awareness perspective. And I just thought sex was dirty. I didn't really have clear conversations around that. And bad people for me when I was very little, around three and four or five years old, meant that you either go insane, go to jail, or you um, die. And so in this experience, you can imagine what was going on in my life. I actually saw myself in... Uh, courtroom, and I thought, now I don't. Now all the evidence is against me, and I'm going to die of a terrible disease. And the fear just kind of swallowed me up, and I walked into that. The good news about this story is it didn't end there. This gentleman later 
would um, come to faith in Christ. Uh, and there's a wonderful story about him following Christ before he died. And I didn't know then, but I know now, that I would be there to witness his death. But his new birth in Christ. So there's a wonderful thing um, there. Someone once told me that God will redeem every part of your life. And I would think to myself, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And I witnessed some of those things. Oftentimes you hear people want to come alongside and encourage. And they'll come up and they'll say, God loves you just the way you are. Well, for me, that wasn't very encouraging. When someone says something like that to me, I thought, I don't like the way I am right now. For me, God loved me so much that he was not willing to leave me the way he found me. And to me, that was powerful. That was hope. I would say that even if you're not struggling with gender issues, that we all probably have areas in our lives that if we could believe God to transform and to renew, we would lay it out there. Maybe it's not sexuality, but maybe it's something else. And the hope of God's presence in your life is that he's not willing to leave you there. He's reaching out for you. That's a good thing. Ephesians says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Another version says, immeasurably more than you can think. So let me ask you, a show of hands. Is there anyone here that has something in their life that if they were truly honest, they would have to concede that they think that's a pretty impossible thing to change? Can anybody, is there anything that they might think is impossible? Because this conversation really today in our culture, in our world, is kind of a, one of those impossible things. I live in a state now in California where they are making laws that basically would say, what I'm doing here today in front of you is illegal. It's finable and jailable. That to imply or tell anybody that God is the God of transformation, so much so that he can take a person who's struggling with their gender identity and transform you and heal you and set you free, that that would be abusive. It would be cruel. That's what the laws in California actually want to do. And there's a new measure in 99 that would do just that if it gets voted and written into law. And if you're sitting here wondering, wow, is it only California? Many other states are right on the verge of passing such legislation. So what's interesting is that the culture is shifting so much that they don't want anyone to say that a person um, can change so much so that they don't even want to use terms like change allowing therapy so if someone does want to change there's is not option just this last month two of the um, contributors and people that I will give you resources for at the end of this session are already having their moves their, their books removed from Amazon and you can't buy them any longer their testimonies from Ann Polk who is the um, founder of, uh, she's, a, she's a chief executive director for Restored Hope Network. Joe Dallas had one of his books just removed, and they are coming through this censorship, and they're taking them away. But God, today I am married, 
Now, I want to say something about this. The goal is not marriage and children. That's not our litmus test for transformation. So if you're hearing my story, I don't want you to hear that, oh, wow, Brian was transformed so much so that he could get married and have children. That is not, it's holiness. God says that I am your standard, that we've all sinned and fall short of his glory, and to be holy as he is holy. And that means a right relationship with everybody, yourself and God and others. I met Nicole at church. I had been at a time in my life where I thought this is as good as it gets. If anyone really heard my story, I can understand why they wouldn't necessarily want me. As far as marriage, I had kind of given that up years before. I thought, you know, this is just too much, you know, for anyone to kind of handle. So I was living in a, um, in a sober state, if you want to use the terms for today. And I was ministering hope to others that wanted freedom from homosexuality and LGBT-related issues and bringing in testimonies of people who have been transformed like myself and really surrounding them with the love of Christ and just encourage them and walking with them as God walked it out in their lives. And Nicole came up to me and she said she liked me. And at that moment, I thought, oh, she is very optimistic. <laughs> and I was trying to be kind. I really wasn't trying to be a jerk. And I said, well, that's nice, but I think God's going to have to knock me in the head. And she, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I went there. And um, she tells me later that she drove home and she had a very different conversation with God in the car. She was yelling, why did you let me say that to him? Why didn't you stop me? And the wonderful thing was she came back to me and she's a very patient woman. She'd have to be to be married to me. And she says that, well, God told me that it's going to take you a little bit longer. And I thought, wow, okay. About 30 days later, wow, this got turned up. Okay. Can't you can't hear it? Okay. Ooh. About 30 days later, I was at a conference, and God did something through a person there um, in a church, in a faith community, that basically disclosed for me a part of my life that I didn't really surrender to God. In fact, what happened is God pressed in on an area of unbelief. My area of unbelief is that God could do anything. He could turn water into wine. Someone like me could stand up and tell a testimony, and I'd say, that's wonderful. I'm glad God did that for you, but what he for me? And in that moment, I stopped short of believing that God can do immeasurably more. And when that kind of came through to me in that moment, it sounds weird, but um, Nicole and I got engaged that night on Skype. Six months later, we got married. Nine months later, we had our firstborn son. These were things that I never thought physically, mentally, emotionally, I could ever connect and grow with. And today I'm living such an amazing um, journey of discovery. I'm not perfect. You know, there is, when you go through a transformation like this, some kind of belief that, wow, if God's transformed this, then I'm going to be the best dad and the best husband ever. <laughs> and those of you that are married and have children realize that those sweet little gifts that God has created press in on every raw nerve that you have. <laughs> And if there's anything that is unhealed inside you, they push it out. And so I am growing as a husband and a father. You know, I, I just have to say in this moment here, I didn't share this earlier, but one of the greatest compliments that I discovered in marriage after coming out of a broken past 
is that on my best day, I don't think like Nicole. I'm going to say that again. On my best day, I can't think like a girl. You know, I grew up people saying you you were more feminine than the, the average guy and, and that, you know, you're going to just get along with girls really well. That seemed to resonate with me because I had a lot of girlfriends when I was growing up. I seemed to relate to them better than the guys. And so I kind of bought this ungodly belief about myself. I believed that when I got married to Nicole, that I would have this edge and somehow I would have the insight on how she thinks and how she behaves. Ooh, that was a bad thought. But the redemptive side of that thought was on the day that I realized I don't think like a girl and I could never think like a girl. I was like, oh, I'm a man. Like, I'm fully a man. And it was good. I love everybody loves Raymond and all those kinds of things because now I relate to my own gender and I never connected with my own gender. I always felt like the odd man out. I felt like there were parts in my life that nobody ever could understand. The really weird thing is when I went into the um, gay community in Chicago, I felt like I had this sense of belonging, but very shortly after that, and anybody who has walked through that life for very long could tell you that that is a short-lived happiness. The funny thing about our humanity is apart from God, we're not fully whole. We're not fully integrated. We don't know how to love. In fact, his word says, you don't love if you don't know me. In fact, it says, you love because I first loved you. There is a roadmap to how we are to be in relationships with one another. And when we find ourselves outside of that path, all different kinds of things go wrong. Homosexuality, transgenderism, the LGBT movement is not the big room. It's one small room of brokenness between male and female. I'll just finish up here. These are my kids today. This is Connor, Avery, and Declan. I never thought that I'd be going fishing with a son. Isn't that neat? We can give God an applause. What you believe about gender and sexuality is so absolutely important. What you believe about gender and sexuality that's absolutely important because we have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, sometimes moms and dads and friends and people that we dearly, dearly love. Maybe it's even us that we're struggling with that kind of thing of identity. And God has given us an identity in Christ, and it is fully in who God says you are, not what society says. It, it, you know, how many of you, by a show of hands, have ever thought they knew something and got it wrong? Okay, I'm in good company. So by your own admission, you're not the source of truth. Is that a fair to say? Okay. Has your teachers or mom and dad or friends and family or culture ever got it wrong? By a show of hands. Have they ever got it wrong? Okay. So for many of us, they're not the source of truth. Has God ever got it wrong? Now, I heard you say no. How many believe that God has never got it wrong? Okay. So 
I'm assuming something as I go on in this, in this discussion, and that is that God is our reference point. When things don't make sense and they don't connect well, that is where we're going to go to find clarity. It's very, very important because we live in a culture today that promotes gay Christianity. They're saying that you can be a gay Christian. Went to a conference several years ago, and this gentleman got up and he spoke, and he was talking about a ministry that he did in Canada. And he said, some of you are going to be surprised there's going to be homosexuals in heaven. And the whole group of people were clapping all around me. And what do you think I was doing? I was pretty sober at that point. I got up, and after the session was over, I went up to this gentleman, and I said, hi, I'm Brian, and um, you said something in your session. And by the way, your ministry is really cool. And he says, oh, thank you. And, and I said, but you said something in your session that, that kind of gave me pause. You said that some of you believe that there's going to be homosexuals in heaven. It would be surprised that homosexuals will be in heaven. And I just wonder where you got that. And he said, well, I'm the blah, 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 blah over all of Canada. And I thought, okay. And then he said, and we have gay priests. And I said, well, that's interesting. I says, because I came out of that broken background. And I would never wear my grave clothes into the marriage feast of the Lamb. What once defined me and hung off me that was dead, that so disfigured who God intended me to be and distorted my image so that I couldn't even see with clear eyes the good of the other, the other gender, I would never wear that identity, that garment into the pure marriage feast that he prepared a place for me. See, he took those things off and he put me in garments of white and he washed me new and he gave me a new name. He corrected those things that were so disoriented that started way back in the garden. Do you believe that God can change and transform a homosexual person? I thought on some level so far, but then God did a greater work without my permission. He's a loving God because when he brought me Nicole and exposed my unbelief and he showed me the bigger discussion was how I related to the other, the good of the other, and that's where it all broke, I found myself on common ground. I was no longer this separate, isolated, insecure, emotionally broken, fractured individual that had no one else I could relate to. I was actually on common ground with the whole of humanity, with every man and every woman, from the point at which Adam and Eve fell into original sin and their relations fractured between God and each other. That's where I was. I had so rejected the God-given gender identity, I didn't even know what I was rejecting. I didn't even know that I was a good gift. In fact, I thought I was bad. And when you think about how you look through lenses like that, it is very easy to 
to miss the bigger discussion. See, homosexuality is just one fractured, broken, relational and emotional entity in the bigger picture of how we relate well to men and women. And how do I know that? We've got brothers that killed each other. We've got divorces that are rampant even within the body of Christ today. We've got male and female employees and employer relationships that have gone so horrifically wrong that it is federal law that we have to do sexual harassment training at all of our companies to show how we treat one another within the workplace and don't violate or offend or come against someone. The horrors that we see in relationships, I would propose, stem back to the Imago Dei that we were created in God's image, fully male and fully female. Our mission, our mission in life, later in Genesis, when it talks about the Missio Dei, is that God has given us a mission for humanity. And that is to be fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue the earth. You wouldn't be here today if two individuals, gifts to the other, opposite of the other, didn't collaborate with God's original plan and bring you into existence and collaborate with him. There's a whole lot of questions around how we treat one another and how we relate to one another. And I didn't realize what I was rejecting. I didn't understand it. Today I do, and I have a whole lot of um, conversations and experiences. But what I want you to hear is what the LGBT community is saying about this. Those that have been living and self-identify as homosexuals, Elizabeth, um, lesbian activist Camila Peliga, she says this, on the contrary, it is a challenge to the norm. Nature exists whether academics like it or not, and in nature, procreation is the single relentless rule, the missio dei. Everyone say missio dei. The mission of humanity. This is what she's talking about. That is the norm. Our sexual bodies were designed for reproduction. No one is born gay. The idea is ridiculous. Homosexuality is, not, is an adaptation, not an inborn trait. Lesbian professor of development, Dr. Lisa Diamond says this, it's tricky to use these categories for advocating rights based on the concept of immunability now that we know that it is not true. As a community, the queers have to stop saying, please help us, we were born this way and we cannot change as an argument for legal standing. So when the secular prophets stand up and they start to disclose the truth of scripture, we should be excited and recognize that, wow, God has not got it wrong. I know that many churches want to love those and lean into those that are struggling, but calling out of them the truth is very, very important. And it looks very different sometimes because our culture says that love and agreement are synonymous terms. And if you disagree with me, you don't love me. I know as I've grown up and God has grown me up in him that 
I can love and love in God's eyes is a very different concept than what we experience sometimes in this world. And I can love a person deeply and fiercely that doesn't agree to me, with me. And that is a wonderful thing. There's four different views that are impacting the church today. They reveal, resist, renounce, and rebuild. Where the LCMS lands is in rebuild, that God does love you so much that he transforms you. You know the interesting thing about that is the ancient church lived their faith out loud. It was done publicly. It was discovered together. That's why you see in Scripture such phenomenal verses that list homosexuality and says right after that in 2 Corinthians, and such were some of you. They, were, they weren't living in hiding. They knew what people struggled with. And the transformation that happened in their life when they came to faith in Christ was evident because they were renewed completely. When we take off the grave clothes and we allow God to bring us into his presence, it is an experience that is supernatural. And it's not understood very easily by this world. When Nicole and I got married, we said to each other that if we had to tell our story today, it wouldn't make any sense in the natural. From what people knew about us and how we came together, they would say, that's crazy. They'd probably try to pull Nicole aside and say, do you know what you're doing? Like, what's wrong with you? But in God's eyes, in his perspective, in his, in his perspective, he knew the complete story. And it makes all the sense in the world. Years ago, Cher and Sonny Bono, um, popular music artists way back, had a little daughter named Chastity. And she would come on their variety show often. And many of us know, and some of you might be too young to know, but Chastity grew up, and it was she's a product of coming from a broken home, and there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of fame, and a lot of success in in her family, but relationally there was just a lot of deficits. And at some point in her life, she decided that she was born in the wrong body, that she was not born a girl, she was born a man. And so she went ahead and she decided that she would have gender reassignment surgery. They interviewed her mom, Cher, on national TV during that time. And I'll never forget it. I saw it once and I've never seen it again, mostly because it's not going to be out there and be public. But they put the camera on Cher and they says, what do you think about your daughter? Or what do you think about Chaz today? And she looked at the camera and she said, I think this that one day this world is gonna make me call her my son, but I'm her mother, and I gave birth to a baby girl. And in that moment, they turned the camera away and they changed the subject. And I saw, again, heaven open up and the kingdom of God's truth being exposed for what it is. My mother, as I grew up, people would make jokes and make comments about me. And I suppose that she would probably be written up in some psychological journal as the person who was in most denial because people would ask her questions about her son 
And she would always say, my son's a man. And when I grew up, I didn't understand that. But today, I thank God for it. Because she knew who she gave birth to. And in that, she called out the truth of my life, even when I wasn't able to hear it or receive it. I want to tell you a little bit about um, some resources really quickly and then open it up for conversation. So I'm working with the Campus Mission Coalition under the direction of um, Reverend Bart Luce, and it starts in LA in the Pacific Southwest. And they've invited us in to have a place in conversation and an opportunity to counsel uh, young people that go away to college. Because as we know, in their universities, all of this um, kind of indoctrination is being overwhelmingly swallowed, swallowing people up in it because you have your professors and your teachers and people that you look up to. And so we're a part of that. Um, Restored Hope Network is a network of over 60 member ministries, and they have been doing a ministry to help walk alongside individuals like myself for some 35 years. And they can help um, in small group and work with pastors and equip local churches. They do an amazing job. Uh, the Freedom March, you may have seen um, here in Minnesota. Anyone here in Minneapolis remember seeing the Freedom March recently? Restored Hope Network just had a conference. The Freedom March is not a part of Restored Hope Network, but the gentleman over here, Jeffrey McCall, that says the love on his T-shirt, he lived as a transgender for many years, and he was part of the Pulse nightclub shootings. Many of the um, young people that made it out um, actually walked out of homosexuality, renounced it in transgenderism, and gave their life to Christ when they saw the mortality and the brevity of life in that moment. And there is such a big movement that's going across the United States, and they do these freedom marches. They had one here in Minneapolis uh, just this month, actually last month in June. And they've done it in Washington, D.C., and they had one in L.A. where they invited me to. Uh, as far as uh, transgenderism, uh, I do just want to give you this resource. It's called sexchangeregret.com. Uh, the the um, book there, Kid Dakota and the Secret at Grandma's House, is actually the author. This gentleman is in his 70s. He had gender reassignment surgery because he had a whole um, history of why that kind of happened in his life. He was married to a family and he had children, and he divorced his wife and went through the surgery to become a woman. And within six months, he was homeless. Um, he was jobless. There's just, everything just kind of fell apart. It, it was not a road to happiness. The Lord met him in that place. He met him in one of the most confusing, dark places of this man's life. He brought him in. There's a faith community. He surrendered everything even his own understanding to God that saves and sets free. He, oddly enough, had everything that was removed put back on and everything that was put on removed. And so in his biology, he returned to his masculine identity. He's been married to a woman for some 20 years, his second marriage. And he has an international ministry where he talks with people who have gone through this all over the world and encourages them very much like what happens with abortion where, where people will go in thinking that this is going to be a road to happiness and it's going to deliver me from my situation. And they find out that there is a deeper emotional soul-wrenching experience from that. 
Pure Passion has a lot of different films. They have a lot of testimonies on there. So if you're looking, if you're saying, wow, you know, Brian was cool, but I, or maybe you're saying, no, he wasn't cool. But um, I didn't really connect with him. What he had to say, I, you know, I don't believe it whatever. I would encourage you, there's other testimonies out there of people that you might connect with and understand. That it might be something that would help a friend or a family. So that's a great resource. Uh, there's all these other resources that are here, uh, uh, different ministries that I would say stand on the Word of God. And so those are available to you. And now I would love to hear from you some of your questions, and I will do my very best to respond to those. All right. Now, this one's such an important question, and I think it gets right to the heart of it. Does God still love me for being trans? Yes. And it's not because you're trans that he loves you. He loves you because he formed you. He created you. And he saw, every, he saw your first day, and he knows your last day. He saw everything that he intended you to be in him and everything that you wanted to be in him. He knows all the wonderful triumphs in your life, and he knows all the failures and the difficulties. And his compassion is not conditional on what you do or how you look or how you behave. He has a plan for you, and that is clear. And that is for a future and a hope and not for calamity. And he's not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering what to do about all this. Yes, it grieves his heart when he sees his children fall into areas and ways that do not testify to the fullness of what he's promised for them. And that is a very significant thing to know. Many of those that I know that have walked through healing and transformation have shed a lot of tears because in their journey, their life was so numbed by all these different things that they went through that when the Lord did come to them and renew their mind and open up their understanding, those precious tears were precious to him. And I would say this, that don't be discouraged if someone is walking through a difficult time and they're dealing with grief. Don't take it away from them. Don't try to make him feel better because that grief is a holy journey and God has a plan for that. And sometimes we need to be very serious and mindful about the decisions that we make. But yes, he absolutely loves the trans, not because of who they are, but who he knows they are and have been created to be. Some would say the only reason you didn't like yourself was because of culture or even the teachings of the church encouraging you to feel guilty. How would you reply? That's a great question. I could say that for me personally, that did not um, shame me. The church wasn't the place that, um, that abused me or put me down or, or made me feel insignificant. In fact... Um, I grew up in a nominal Christian home. When I say nominal, mom and dad attended church, but we didn't do Bible studies at home. We didn't really integrate that into our lives. So there was no browbeating about this is what God says, you know, and, and that God hates homosexuals or anything like that. From a very early age when he showed me um, his presence in my life and I gave up my thumb for Jesus, there was something that happened that was supernatural. 
And isn't that the life of a Christian? That God takes a bankrupt person with no ability to help themselves and brings them from death to life like he did Noah through the flood, through the waters of baptism. And the miraculous mystery, and we don't necessarily have words that can translate very well, but in the miraculous mystery, he took a heart of stone and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. There's two sides of love. There's the ability to give, but there's also the ability to receive. If you do not have the transformed life of Christ within you, Scripture says you don't know how to love and you can't receive. It falls on a stony heart. So the many, many things that God does in this transformative experience, he did in a miraculous way that even I couldn't doubt it. So it came at seven years old for me. The Lord pressed in on my unbelief much later in life when I was standing against his provisional promise for more, and I didn't believe it, in marriage and a family. And when he did that miraculous work, you could talk to me all day long and say that, oh, if I just would have found someone else and it would have been better, I would have been okay. But the life that I'm living today is a continual miracle of transformation that I, while not completely arrived, experience every time I pick up my child, every time I kiss my wife, every time I realize that I can't think like a girl. It's a wonderful thing, and it's something God did, not something that any man or woman could have shamed me and made me feel bad about. As Christians, how do you feel God calls us to treat homosexual individuals? We stand on equal ground. So if we enter into any relationship, I would encourage you to listen and hear their story. Not be provoked by what you see on the outside, but be intrigued by the why. What is going on in their lives? Who are they? And get an understanding that is a relational journey. Sometimes the Lord, in his mercy, in his love for an individual, might have you intersect a person's life and give you 30 seconds with them. And it may be that in that 30 seconds, they see something so alive in your life that they receive the fullness of a living God who wants to save them. But for many of us, it's a journey, and it's an understanding. When we go in with and being intrigued by the why in their lives, and we learn their story, it doesn't make what we see necessarily right. It does make it, though, understandable. When you hear how someone got to where they're at, it makes it understandable, doesn't it? If you're talking and you're not listening, you'll never truly understand that holy journey that they're on. And it is a holy journey, and it's their journey. I can't go into someone's life and hear their story and then take it over and say, this is the way it is. For them, it is a very holy thing. And if the Lord invites us into that, we are to tread lightly and carefully. It does make it understandable when you find out their story and forgivable and correctable. And there is a holy journey that God does. And just because a person isn't quite where you're at in that, and maybe they get in your face and maybe they're angry and they're hurt, doesn't give us the right to basically dismiss them either. 
The Lord has called us into relationship, male and female, with one another. And that is a long journey for some, a short journey for others. And I would encourage you to truly lean into them and hear their story. What I often find is if they're not ready, that's okay. That's their story. If you see something, as long as they're not hurting themselves and others, you can live in a relationship with them because you know the God who saves and sets free. He is the one who gives the increase. He doesn't need you in his service, but he does want you.